1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, finally coming to the end of this chapter, and also Ephesians chapter 2 if you'd like. We are concluding our series, Unwrapping the Spiritual Gifts. Actually, tonight isn't necessarily all about a spiritual gifts. If, as, as we're reading through, you'll notice it's actually talking somewhat about uh, offices that employ spiritual gifts, uh, kind of uh, assignments, if you will, spiritual assignments, you might want to call it, uh, that we'll be looking at tonight. But let's get a running start here. We have unwrapped, if you've been with us, we've unwrapped actually nine different gifts over the last month or so. Uh, in verses 8 through 10. Start in verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, that's the third one, to another gifts of healings, number four, by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Nine different gifts in these verses. And they are all ways that the Spirit shows himself, manifests, is the word there in verse 7, shows himself to the church through the very members of that church. And these are all distributed, we've seen, by the Spirit according to His will, the, according to the thing that He wants to do. And the reason that He gives them, we saw again in verse 7, is for the benefit of the whole body. Corinthians had all these gifts, right? All of these gifts, all nine of them were uh, active, you might say hyperactive, in the Corinthian church. They had all of these gifts, but they were like spoiled children, on Christmas Day. Some were gloating over the gifts they had. Some were grumbling over the gifts they never got. Sulking, separating, dividing into camps while the world around them literally was going to hell. So we saw many weeks ago now, Paul compared each one of these members of the Corinthian church to a member of a human body. Read with me now to get your perspective, verses 12 through 26. For as the body, Paul says, is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. Then he, he continues this, uh, this illustration with some uh, almost comical uh, visual language. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. 
and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, no tear, which is exactly what was going on in Corinth, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We've covered all of those verses in varying orders. But basically, clearly, this is a very gifted body of believers in Corinth, but very, very immature And this brings us now to the only verses in this chapter that we have not covered. And most of it is review. A lot of it is review. So we're going to move along. Well, we're actually covering four verses, which is moving along for us lately. Verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. You could probably underline that and say, hey, that's the heading for the whole chapter. Chapter 12 is basically saying, look, we are stuck together. Whether you like it or not, you are stuck with us. And so... Uh, work together. Verse 28, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and varieties of tongues. See, many of those we've covered as we've gone through. Verse 28, and God has appointed these in the church. The word appointed there is thethemi, T-H-I-T-H-E-M-E-I. It means to be established, ordained. It actually means to be set in place. I don't know if you've noticed, but at Calvary Chapel, we don't have a membership procedure. Now, to me, that makes sense. You don't fill out a piece of paper to become a part of a living organism. Paul says that this here is the body. You don't fill out a piece of paper. You don't sign your name to become a part of a living organism. If you are a part of this body, it's not because you filled out a piece of paper or because we had a ceremony. It's because God set you in this body. If you are an eyeball, if you will, he popped you in the socket. Now, maybe... There might be some in the room who don't, I don't think so, that, uh, that are regulars. Maybe you don't have an assignment yet. If that's true, if you haven't found your niche, your socket, there, it might be that you haven't found that place yet where, where you thrive. Now, that's okay for now. But I think you'll agree, if you're a part of this body, you are becoming well attached. You're becoming attached to the body. And you're going to have a desire to fit in. You're going to have a desire to function the way he wants you to. Not where you want to function, but where he wants you to. You want to be fit in perfectly where he has you. Now, not every assignment, every socket, if you will, that you can fit into is a formal office. As a matter of fact, most of them aren't. But the way that you serve Jesus, the way that you serve his body can vary from uh, sweeping a floor here to pastoring here to going out and talking to people at Publix to helping someone who needs help, one of your neighbors. The way you serve Jesus is you want it to be the way he wants you to. Now, everyone is critical. We've seen this over and over again, I think, to to the body as a whole. Verse 28 says, and God has appointed these in the church. And then he says, first, 
apostles. The word apostles there is apostelos. It means a delegate, messenger, one sent forth with orders. Now, most often, this specifically applies, and I think it applies here, to the 12 apostles of Christ. Um, there were the 12 apostles of Christ, and Paul was an apostle, but the word apostle is also used for Barnabas, for Timothy, for Silas. Those guys were also called apostles. Now, obviously, I think all of them would agree that the 12, uh, Paul, and there's a whole thing we could go into on whether Paul is one of the 12. I believe he basically is, but are there apostles today is the big question. Are there apostles today? Well, it depends, I think, on your definition. Certainly, there are messengers, those sent forth with orders. In fact, well, that would describe all of us, right? We are commissioned by Jesus, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. He was sending us forth, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commended you, commanded you and lo i am with you always even to the end of the age you could make a case if you mean apostle with a little a all of us are sent forth but let me say there is no one today with the same authority as those early apostles think about it these guys wrote the new testament under the inspiration of the holy spirit because an apostle was living in the new testament while they were writing it they had a very, very unique job in history. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 19 through 22. In Ephesians 2, 19 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation, here it is, of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Verse 20 basically says that the apostles and the prophets, we're going to cover them next, in the sense that they're used in the text tonight, that is writing scripture, uh, declaring church doctrine and practice, all those things, they were filling a foundational role. They were part of the foundation that God laid. And Jesus Christ was the cornerstone. But they helped, they helped uh, not only write the New Testament, but also say, look, this is the way the church basically is supposed to function. They were part of the foundation. And you only pour one foundation. So that if you, for instance, meet anyone today who walks up to you and introduces themselves as the Apostle Fred, your discerning alarm should go whoop, whoop, whoop. Now, um, do you have that, have that picture for me? Two of them? Um, show the first. This, I went on a vacation this last week. We were in California, and there was a sign beside the uh, elevator that caught my eye. You guys seen those? Emergency evacuation plan. Um, now show the next one. In the left-hand corner, bottom left-hand corner, notice what it says. It says, I guess this is for people who can't see and also for people who can't hear. It says, alarm looks like a flashing light. Alarm sounds like a whoop. I just, just thought that was interesting. Alarm sounds like a whoop. Now, you can, you can turn, it, turn it off there. 
in general, if someone comes to you and introduces himself as an apostle, if he means like Paul, like these guys, then you should be thinking to yourself, whoop, whoop. Here are the qualifications for the office of an apostle that he's talking about. Compare these things to Paul now. Now, Paul himself was sometimes accused of not being an apostle, and he laid things out for us and said, look, am I not qualified in this way? Am I not qualified in this way? Paul called himself, we're going to see in chapter 15, the last, the last of the eyewitnesses and the least of these apostles. Here's, here's the qualifications of an apostle. You had to have, ready, seen Jesus in the flesh. You had to have seen the resurrected Christ. Now, not just a vision, but you had to have seen him in the flesh. All of the apostles, including Paul, saw him in the flesh. You can find that in Acts chapter 22 um, and also probably in Acts chapter 9. But definitely in Acts 22, it's very clear that this was not a vision that Paul had in in the jail in Jerusalem. This was an actual uh, appearance of the physical body of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 1, we saw it when we went through. Paul said, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? That was qualification number one. Qualification number two, the apostle had to be specifically chosen by Jesus. Now, we know the disciples, the 12 disciples, were, were chosen by Jesus. But in Acts chapter 9, you might remember when Paul was, was called, was, he was uh, taken down on the road to Damascus, and Ananias was sent to minister to Paul while Paul is still blind. Um, Ananias is sent, and he basically puts up a fight and says, Look, I don't really want this job, Lord, because uh, Saul basically beats us, uh, throws us into prison, not really interested in the job. Chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. See, Paul was chosen by the Lord. Now, if someone who calls himself the Apostle Fred could tell you, it's possible they could tell you, look, I've seen... Jesus in the flesh. They could tell you that. He could tell you that he's been chosen by Jesus. They could tell you that. But the third qualification should really clear up some things. Here's the third qualification. All of the apostles were given miraculous powers. I mean, these were the apostles that healed, uh, were healing paralyzed folks. They were using earthquakes as get-out-of-jail-free cards. These apostles had serious miraculous powers. And what's more... As you go through the, the panoply, is that a right word, of Scripture, you see that these apostles also had the ability to lay hands on people to confer these abilities to work miracles. So that begins now to narrow down the field of a would-be modern apostle. Oh, and one more thing. All of the early apostles died martyrs' deaths. So if someone introduces themselves, again, as the apostle Fred Tell them you're respectfully awaiting more evidence that these things need to happen according to the scriptures for them to use the title with, let's call it the big A. Now, if they mean the little A, one cent with a message, I can go with that. Okay. Now, is, is that to say that there are no modern apostles, meaning national leaders, world spokesmen? No, I wouldn't say that. For instance, if, if it was up to me, I would call Billy Graham a good candidate, as an apostle. But I'll tell you what, he wouldn't. He wouldn't ever say, I am the apostle, Billy Graham. 
There are others that I could mention, but I believe they would never call themselves apostles. Now, Paul called himself an apostle. But if you notice, it's in the scriptures, it's only the places where his message was being attacked. It wasn't wherever, wherever he was concerned about his own personal uh, uh, reputation. It was that he was concerned about the message, for instance, in Galatians, and I believe in Thessalonians, where the message was being attacked. And uh, the only time he would pull rank was when people's faith was about to be shipwrecked. Okay, notice also that a part of the foundational role that we looked at in Ephesians chapter 2 were the prophets. Look with me again at verse 28. Paul says, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets. Now, we've already covered the gift of prophecy. Now, remember, this is list is more of a, a list of offices now, of specific assignments, spiritual appointments. We've already covered that prophecy is a very real gift, a valuable, precious gift to the body of Christ. This was not, though, Paul's not talking about a regular guy, you and me, who received a prophecy. He's talking about one who so regularly received prophecy that he helped govern the church. He actually said, this is the, the way the church needs to go. Now, are there prophets today? Well, I don't know if you guys know, but you could, again, if you wanted to, you could probably make a pretty good case for Joel Rosenberg. I don't know if you guys, anybody know who he is? No? Okay. <laughs> um, he wrote the book, The Last Jihad, that begins in the cockpit of a hijacked jet. This jet that was attacking the United States Capitol. And this book leads to a war, or in this book, this attack leads to a war with Saddam Hussein over weapons of mass destruction. He wrote that book before. September 11th, but he would not call himself, I don't think, a prophet. Now, I believe he's smart not to, because let me say this, before you are tempted to introduce yourself at the next office party as a prophet, Bill, make sure you read Deuteronomy 18. You can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. Deuteronomy 18:22. God says, anyone who calls himself a prophet and his prediction doesn't happen or come true, God says he's spoken without my authority. And the consequences for that? Well, you find those in verse 20. Any prophet, God says, who falsely claims to speak in my name or who speaks in the name of another God must die, must be stoned. So if someone calls themselves a prophet, if they're actually willing to take that title upon their name, then what they, they need to be 100% accurate or they need to be willing to be stoned. Now, obviously, I'm not saying we, we do that, but when it's the same deal. When someone claims that, that office, that title, you need to be real careful, okay? Um, so, but we might say, for instance, and I think I've said this, when you're speaking in hyperbole, you might say, look, he's, an, he's a, a prophet for our time, right? Um, I might want to say that about someone who is very insightful, who seems to uh, really have a handle on what God is doing in the world today. I'm not saying that that's not possible. But what I am saying is if you are willing to say of yourself, look, I'm a prophet, I'm an apostle for our time, then you need to know the qualifications are very steep, very steep. Verse 28, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Now, we've covered all of those, basically, 
but two. So we're going to blow through these, these uh, few as quickly as I can and then uh, save the last two toward the end. It says, third, teachers. He's talking about the office of a teacher. Now, not one who simply has the gift of teaching, but one who has been, the Lord has appointed to do so regularly. Now, as to the latter, it seems I've been appointed to teach regularly. As to the former, whether I'm gifted or not, no comments, please. He says, third teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings. That's interesting, isn't it? You, you, we saw as uh, we looked at this, I think it was last week or two weeks ago. Paul seems to be putting these in a certain rank, certain order. He places teaching higher in rank than miracles and healings. I don't know if I would have done that. But miracles, I think the reason is miracles are attention getters, right? No, no doubt about that. And healings are good, wonderful, but even healings are temporary. If I'm healed today of something, unless the Lord comes back, that's a temporary thing. It might be 20 years temporary, but it's still a very temporary thing compared to eternity. But what is teaching? Teaching the word has the potential to bear eternal fruit in the lives of every hearer who will apply that message. Now, bringing up the rear in this parade of gifts of offices, I'm not sure you'd say, is varieties of tongues. We talked about that in depth last time, two weeks ago. Paul mentions this gift, the varieties of tongues, in both lists, the one back in, in verse 8 and here in 28. And it's last in both lists. Now we saw again, that's not to say that it's unimportant. This gift of tongues is a precious gift in times when you don't know how else to pray, when you have no words, when he gives you the, the ability to speak in an unknown tongue. Now, also, by the way, sometimes it's a blessing as a rare manifestation for the church. What we learned last time, it's always to be done with interpretation and always should be directed to God. If, if you're questioned about that, uh, you can get the tape uh, two weeks ago. We went quite a bit into depth. And, of course, it's obviously certainly not to be pushed as a defining gift. So that only leaves two more gifts. Two more appointments, maybe. That is helps and administrations. Now, we're going to come back to those in just a minute. But notice, as we continue on, remember, Paul is making the case. What's his point? We are the body of Christ. He says, look, we're all together. Not everybody can be a hand. I mean, it would be great, but the body would look really odd if there were 260 hands and no feet, no eyes, no heads. Paul says, not everybody can be a hand or a foot or an eye. Everybody is unique. Everyone is especially formed, specifically formed, to be plugged in where the Lord wants them. Read with me now verse 29. And I'll let you guys interact a little bit here. You guys know the answer by now. Are all apostles? The answer is no. These are rhetorical questions. Are all prophets? The answer is are all teachers? The answer is are all workers of miracles? The answer is, do all have gifts of healings? I wish the answer were yes, but the answer is no. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer must be no. To be consistent. So when, when people say, look, you have to have the gift of tongues or you are not saved or you are not spirit filled. It cannot be consistent with the scriptures here. Tongues cannot be the litmus test for spirituality. But did you guys notice 
anything missing in that list. It's an exact duplicate of the list we saw in the verse before, except for two things missing. Did you notice them? The two things missing were helps and administrations. Hmm. Why is that? I'm not sure, but I have a guess. I think it's because these gifts could be available to all. He, he left them out of this lift. Could it, could it be that the gift of helps is available to all of us? The gift of administrations, and we'll see what that means, is available to all of us. Possible. Let's talk about the gift of helps. Spurgeon wrote this or spoke this about the gift of helps. He says, it strikes me that they, they were not persons, those with the gift of, heal, of helps, who had any official standing, but that they were only moved by the natural impulse and the divine life within them to do anything and everything which would assist either teacher, pastor, or deacon in the work of the Lord. They are the sort of brethren who are useful anywhere, who can always stop a gap, and who are only too glad when they find that they can make themselves serviceable to the church of God in any capacity, whatever. Spurgeon is describing someone with the gift of helps as someone who is willing to do anything at any time for the cause of Christ. Now, I am so thankful. This is a chance. Occasionally, I get a chance to brag on you guys. I am so thankful that the gift of helps did not die out in Spurgeon's time. I am thankful for the saints that I know that don't need any glory. They just want to help. I'm thankful for those who come alongside and they want to do a job that is not glamorous or even fun, but a job that needs to be done. That is the gift of helps. Our sign-up sheets are filled with people with this gift. And listen to this. The word helps there is antilimpsis. It literally means to lay hold of, to hold fast to anything. So there could be another application of this gift. That would be to take a person or a thing, as it were, a person in our case, to hold, to embrace. Let me put it this way. I know some of you saints are really gifted in holding fast to a wounded brother or sister, to a hurting brother or sister. Some of the men in the men's group and women, I'm sure, I don't interact with you guys the way I do with men, but some men that I know are really gifted. You guys are really gifted at communicating to your brother things like this. You're always welcome here. You're missed when you're not here. Now, you know, right? There's some people that can say, miss you. And what they're saying is, where were you? But there's other people who are gifted at saying, no, I, I really missed you. I want you to, to, to be here. There are people who are, are gifted at no guilt trips, just a genuine holding fast to one who might tend to slip through the cracks. And I hope some of you are thinking right now, hey, that's me. I do that. There are people in this room who are really good at making sure that people don't fall through the cracks. And if that's you, then up until this moment, you may have come to through these and said, well, I don't have that gift. I don't have that gift. Well, right here, if that's you, you have a gift. 
And this is along the list of supernatural gifts. And you say, well, wait a second. That's not a supernatural gift. That's just what I do. Well, I would disagree. It's natural in its expression. But think about how supernatural it is to think about someone else rather than your own self. We've been saying all along, have we not, that the, the gifts, when they're expressed correctly, should be supernatural, but done really naturally. Look with me at verse 7 again. He says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, what is a manifestation? We talked about it. It means to make something visible, which is already there. Right? One more, one more time. My book, right now, the, the Bible, it's here, but it's not manifest. Now, it's manifest. That's, that's what it means to manifest. Now, let me ask you, when we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, what says, what manifests, what shows the Spirit of God is alive and well and moving in, in a church any more than you serving the children like you do, those of you who serve? What says that the Spirit is alive and well any more than you calling someone, asking how you can pray for them? than you delivering a meal, like so many of you do, to a saint that is precious to God? What says that the Spirit of God is alive any more than holding fast to those that the world sees as the least of these? Jesus says, if you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So that's the gift of helps. Do you see? Anybody can have this gift, I think. Now that leads, lastly, the gift of administrations. Your translations may say maybe the gift of governments. Um, there are usually no lack of people who claim this gift. The ability to tell other people what they should be or shouldn't be doing. Or the ability to tell people what they should have done differently. If, if, if that's the definition, then there are millions of armchair quarterbacks with the gift of administration. Right? But the word is kubernesis. It's from the Latin. It means to steer. Literally, it means guiding the helm of affairs. And it means with or without a formal office. In other words, you don't have to be the pastor to help steer this ship. Now, obviously, it behooves all of us to pray for those whom God has placed at the helm. Basically, he's, he's put me in a spot where if nobody's got to be there, somebody needs to be at the helm, right? It's really smart for all of us to pray for those who are at the helm. Otherwise, what happens? We all end up shipwrecked. But one of the words here for uh, the gift of administrations is wise counsels. And I am discovering, I have discovered, even through this building search, that God does not limit his wise counsel to church leadership only. Wise counsel can come from anywhere in the church, and it does. And when I recognize God has gifted a person for a job, what I'm trying to do as I'm learning is to let that person steer for a while without shirking my own responsibilities to make sure the thing doesn't tip over, but to say, God has gifted you. Why don't you... Steer this thing a little bit. What's the application for you guys? What's the application for me? <laughs> Number one, pray for those at the helm. Man, if you don't, we are shipwrecked. Pray that we won't get off course. And pray for wisdom 
to recognize wise counsel every time. Now, I'm, I'm thankful God is in charge of this whole ship. So he's not going to let us really completely go crazy off course. But I wonder when we don't pray, how many things of wise counsel that we miss or that maybe aren't even said. This is a great application. If you're concerned about our church, the future of our church, pray for wisdom and pray that we never miss wise counsel, no matter where it comes from in the church. And here's a more general application. Look at verse 31. We're almost done, guys. Verse 31 says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. Paul says, almost like he never wants us to forget this. He's basically saying, look, it's okay to pray for, to be zealous for, to covet the best gifts. Because in chapter 13, he's going to say, don't ever do it without love. But he seems to continually say, look, I'm not saying don't uh, go after, don't covet these best gifts. Now, Again, we ask the question, what is the best gift? Is it miracles? It's a pretty good one. Is it prophecy? Is it speaking in tongues? That's exactly the debate the Corinthians were having. When he, when he says earnestly desire the best gifts, they're like, oh, I already got that one. Just check this out. No. What is the best gift? Well, this will help. The word best there is kriaton. It means more useful, more serviceable, more advantageous. Let me spell it out for you. What's the best gift when a person is sick and God wants to heal them? The gift of healing. What's the best gift when a person is sick and it's not in God's plan to heal them? The gift of helps. What's the best gift when you face an impossible task? The gift of faith. What's the best gift when you face an impossible choice? The word of wisdom. What's the best gift when you are teaching? Word of knowledge, prophecy. What's the best gift when you are overwhelmed and you have no idea how to even pray? The gift of tongues. What's the best gift if someone else is genuinely praying in tongues in a service? The interpretation of tongues. It's necessary. Paul says, look, there is nothing wrong with wanting to be gifted for service. In fact, how wonderful it would be to be equipped supernaturally for the work of the ministry. ministry. And yet, Paul says, and yet I show you, last few words, a more excellent way. And we've been through chapter 13. You know what that more excellent way is. He says, I show you a more excellent way. It's agape love. Now, again, let me say feel like I've said it probably 10, 15 times. We don't have to choose. We don't have to choose between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit of all the ones that we've just looked at, all 11 things that he's mentioned, or maybe even more. But the fruit of the Spirit is agape love. We don't have to choose between the gift of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. God wants us to have both. He wants us to exhibit both. But clearly, Paul spends all of chapter 13 saying the fruit of the Spirit, agape love, surpasses the gifts of the Spirit. Where he says, I show you a more excellent way, the word is hyperbole. It's the same place we get the word hyperbole. You know what it means? Hooper is over or past or beyond. 
And bola is, think of a ball, throwing. To throw beyond is what it means. He says, and yet I show you a more excellent way, one that throws way beyond even these gifts. Think of a, think of a shot, put, shot putter. He says, look, all of these gifts without love, Paul says in chapter 13, it's like an Olympic shot putter. He's all buffed. He's all ripped. Everybody's like, wow, look at that guy. He steps, he steps up to, to make the shot put, and he steps on the line every time. Three times, whatever it is, he's disqualified, Paul says. It's empty. It's nothing. This guy, however talented he is, goes home empty-handed. Now, Paul says, now, though you could have love without the gifts, you could have love without the gifts, and it throws beyond, and you get the gold. You get, you get to go home with the gold medal. But I don't think Paul wants us to stop there. What if the gifts are used with agape love? Well, then that piece of metal flies out of the medalist's hands, past the field of competition, out of the stadium, out of the province, out of the country, out of sight. It's truly out of this world. It's that kind of amazing feat. Paul says, let us not be like the buff guy who defaults, who who fails to do it because he doesn't have love. But I think he says, let us not just settle for the gold medal either. Let us be throwing that thing out of the park. Let me close with Romans chapter 12. This is a great admonition for us. And I think uh, this goes really well with what Paul's trying to say. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 18. You don't have to turn there because I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It's really clear, and I hope it stays that way. In his grace, Paul says, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, I hope you're hearing me as Paul wants you to hear me. If God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift, Paul says, is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, he says, do it gladly. He goes on and says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. He finishes by saying, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep live in harmony with each other don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all never pay back evil with more evil do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable do all that you can to live in peace with everyone that's a good button to put on these gifts of the spirit